In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Carl Jockamson is the first Australian on the Bass Master Elite fishing tour. He was raised in a small town in Queensland, Australia, and he was raised a fisherman and a hunter. And so when he first came to the United States and started getting a little influential, a little famous, he noticed that, oh man, I, I, I shouldn't be posting anything about hunting because of look at all the negativity and all the backlash that people are getting because they post about hunting. Well, today, in the situation he's in, he has almost 90,000 people that follow him. He is very, very comfortable about posting about hunting. And so I wanted to have him on and just talk through his story, really, and why he's so comfortable about talking about hunting and posting about hunting, because let's be honest, there's lots of people of influence out there that are hunters that refuse to say that they are a hunter. And we need more of the calls of the world. A big shout out to Brandon Palinuk, who put us in contact with Carl. And I know you're going to enjoy this conversation since it's two great accents. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> 
Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Yep. <laughs> okay, so let's clear the air, all right, straight away. Yep. South African, better rugby team than Aussies, right? <laughs> we might, the podcast might end early. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Look, I'll tell that. you this, man. I'll tell you this. We suck uh-huh. outside the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It seems to be on the big stage. You guys uh, do, do real good. It's always a battle, though. Always a battle, man. Always a yeah. battle. What do you think? Who's going to win? Who's, who's, what's your prediction? World Cup? Next year, well, I, I, the the tough thing about being over in the states is I've lost contact with a lot of like that. You know, I haven't been able to follow it near as much. But as long as Australia's in it, I'm always back in the Aussies, no matter what. <laughs> Heck yeah! Um, no, I'm. I feel the same way, man. Can't get the information. Like, yeah, I know. It's it's like even you know I lived and breathed state of origin in australia like oh what an amazing series what like like, oh man like that's where i get my like spirit of you know like that come from behind never get quit type grit comes from those um origin days of you know being down with you know minutes to go and being able to make a comeback and queensland win and um a lot of it comes from all of that and it sucks but i've just lost it i don't even know any of the players that are in the origin anymore it hasn't been that long but um you know they're all new young players now those that um well let's let's introduce you because they can clearly hear the audience can clearly hear you have an accent maybe not as good as my south african accent you know i don't know if you know this but half my family's australian they're the dark side of the family you know we don't like to talk about that side of the family you know (laughs) yeah we get uh you get mistaken over here people either say south african new zealand or australia they they always have a have a guess and it's usually one of those three well, Carl Jockinson, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast, man. I'm stoked for you to be here. It's these are the, you're the kind of person that we want to talk to, man. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Give a little brief introduction to who you are, where you come from. Um, yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, born and bred in uh, Australia, Toowoomba, Queensland. It uh, was my um, my hometown, and I basically lived in Australia. Uh, my in my first 26 years of my life. Um, I grew up uh, fishing, hunting, outdoors, um, doing just about anything I could um, to get on the lake, get out in the bush. Uh, I worked on my uncle's farm. He had 8,000 acres um, in Western Queensland. And uh, I got a lot of my life experiences from out there, the real true life experiences, um, some of the best things. But yeah, right through school, just fishing um, and you know, not 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 being at school near enough, but I was always out exploring, doing something. And about the age of 15, 14, uh, 15, I discovered um, bass tournaments in Australia. And um, just my competitive nature, I grew up playing sports, playing rugby, um, 
and uh, just was competitive in everything. But fishing always, it always came back to fishing and hunting and getting away. Uh, and then through the tournaments, I found a way to feed my competitive side and mm. do what I love. And um, from about 14, I always just wanted to fish and be out, outdoors. But from about 14 onwards, I was like, uh, when I discovered the tournaments, I said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And unfortunately, grow up, growing up in Australia, that's not really a thing. And <laughs> it's kind of unheard of. And uh, I end up, um, I fished every single tournament that I could. And I worked in tackle stores. And I just immersed myself in the outdoors. And I did that for about 10 years in Australia. And I ended up becoming one of the best bass anglers in Australia. I won our biggest tournaments. I won Angler of the Year three times. And sort of the big step, and when you, are involved in that in Australia, you're always looking at the US like that is the big stage, you know, and that's the same, I think, for any sportsman in Australia, whether you're a golfer or, you know, it was always like you got it. It doesn't matter how good you did in Australia. You right. had to go to America to sort of consider making it, I guess. And so a lot of my techniques, a lot of the things I learned, um, a lot of the things I looked up to were, um, you know, in a, in the US, and that was the Bassmaster um, Elite Series, and then uh, and then the Bassmaster Classic, which is basically the biggest fishing tournament in the world. You know, mm -hmm. they fill stadiums. There's sometimes fifty thousand people in the stadium. The guys weighing fish in. Mm. I've always just watched that and dreamt of it ever since I was a little kid. And uh, yeah, I moved to the US. I I went. I got an experience. You moved purposely. You're like, I'm coming, and I'm going to fish. So in 2009 or 2008, I won a trip to the US. I'd never left Australia, but our, our Bassmaster Classic, our biggest event of the year, it was an expenses paid trip to the US. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. To try and give an Australian um, that feeder experience to say, hey, maybe we've got a guy that can make mm -hmm. it over here or give him a chance. Had so there been an Australian before you? That that they'd come over and fished in those um, from winning, you know, they'd come over and fish for a week or two and then come home, and it, a phenomenal experience. But most no one came back and and tried to have a go, and so I had tried to win that to give myself a foot in the door. And after ten years of competing in Australia, I finally won it in two thousand and eight, and then I came over in two thousand and nine, and I got the American experience, and you know it was. It was unbelievable. Like when I got here, the the hunting, the fishing, the way mm -hmm. it was perceived, the way people spoke about it, I just got I got goosebumps just then because I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. I felt it because of Australia is just a lot different in the way they sure. view fishing and hunting and the outdoors. And I was always looked at a bit of an outsider and always careful of who you spoke and all of that. Um, and so 
I just fell in love with it. And I'm like, and I actually competed in the US Open at a Lake Mead and I came second. And I happened to run into a guy, Fred Rombanis, who fishes and competes on the highest level. And he saw me fish and compete. And he's like, man, you have what it takes. I watch people fish. I can see it. You've got something. And he gave me a bit of a spark. And uh, I went home after that trip and I, I just said, that's it, I'm doing it. And I sold everything I owned. I sold my truck, my boat, um, every bit of outdoor thing I had, tackle. I saved up for a year. And then uh, I did I did a fundraiser. I did whatever I could. And then I moved here in 2011 with the dream of becoming a Bassmaster Elite Series angler. No Australian had ever done it in history. And, um, and in 2015, I, I did it. So after four Man. years of competing full-time and going broke and going bankrupt and flying home and coming back and visas and all the crazy stuff, um, I did it. And so I made it to the Elite Series in 2015. And then uh, I've basically almost competed there ever since. Um, it's been a battle through all of that, even getting to that position. It's still insanely tough. Um, and then in 2019... How many, how many people are at that level for people that have like no idea? It's the top 100 guys in the world. So basically cut off at 100. Um, it's unbelievably competitive. It's really How many internationals? Because you've got a couple of Japanese guys in there, right? Yeah, um, there's, only, there's usually only a few. So um, there's been usually one or two um, from Japan and... Uh, and then, uh, and then three from Canada. So, mm. um, so I've been the first, only Australian to make it, and no Aussies have made it since. And there's been a couple that are starting to filter through and try. COVID stopped a lot of that, but hopefully, um, get a making a bit of a path for some more Aussies to come and do it. Um, but yeah, had top hundred guys, and then uh, and then I won my very first event in 2019. That was kind of my big breakthrough um, that really boosted me. And um, and then this year I made, I had my best year. I didn't win one, but I made the Bassmaster Classic, which is the pinnacle of the sport. And so I'll be competing in that next year. So what is that? The top 25. It's the top 50. They have 50 guys. Um, it's 300,000 for first. Um, I think last year or in Knoxville, they had 160,000 people come through. Jeez. Um, and, you know, there'll be, there was like 16,000 people at the takeoff in the morning at blast off. And it's, it's wild. You get to play your song when you come into the stadium and uh, the, the, the crowd's just massive. You, you know, you pull your fish out and weigh in in front of everyone. It's kind of like where the dream really started for most Amazing. kids. And Amazing, man. So when you came here, where did you land? Where was like starting point? Because when I came to the States, it was Mississippi. I, I don't think you landed in Mississippi. Yeah, it was. I got a weird. It's an interesting one. I literally knew one guy and uh, his name was Gary <laughs> Boyd. And he lived in downtown LA. Oh, my but, God. But he flew to Australia and would fish our Barramundi tournaments there. Mm. He fell in love with it and he competed on the West Coast. So he fished. Mead and um, Havasu and Clear Lake and all up and down um, California. Well, he was my only contact and he was an old, he's older. Um, and I just talked to him. He said, hey, if you want to come over, you can stay here. I'll show you how to drive. I'll teach you this. We'll get you set up. <laughs> and 
he was a really good angler, so he was going to teach me stuff that I didn't know. And yeah, I packed a suitcase full of clothes, a suitcase full of tackle, a rod tube, and I left Australia. And I flew in, and Gary was waiting for me there in the LA airport. And the next and that that was day, that. that day we started fishing and started started the learning curve. <laughs> and today, Idaho is home, right? No, actually, um, so my wife Kayla, she's from Idaho, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and okay. uh, and but we're actually based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So that's really pop is here, yeah. Dude, you know I'm in Memphis, Tennessee, right? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Are you going to come to um? I don't know what where you'll be at the time, but you know that the big safari show SCI is happening in Nashville this year. Okay, huh? I didn't know that. February twenty second no. to the twenty sixth. Okay. Yeah, that's getting close to where our season's kicking. <laughs> I would love to be there, that's for sure, especially being that close. Well, that's but, yeah. awesome that you're in freaking Tennessee, yeah. man. I didn't even know. So that's yep. permanent base now because of just fishing-wise? Is it just yep. an easier entry point to find go to places? Yeah, so we actually basically since 15, we've lived out of a um, like a truck camper, a Lance. And so we have that goes in the back of our truck. We tow our boat. And once you're on the road, we would stay on the road because I would compete and then I would like fish another lake and then compete again. And uh, and just the nature of this sport and how it is, it's very difficult to survive until you get that breakthrough. So we would just, we'd never bought anything and we'd never really based ourselves somewhere. And Coeur d'Alene, Idaho is incredible. It's just too far away like to mm-hmm. really in that season even though brandon does it and but like he does an incredible amount of traveling and that's sort of his home base where he really has his comfort and he he loves to go home because of the hunting and one day i could see myself and see us moving back there and living there um but for now chattanooga is like it's unbelievable i've got we've got an incredible setup here like Mm. we're just so close the driving is what kills you in this sport you're traveling 10 hours, 20 hours more nonstop. And so this gave us a real home base where one of the best lakes in the country is right here, Chickamauga. And then you've got smallmouth, spotted bass, largemouth, all good species to learn from. Um, And so we just, we found this spot and the hunting and the outdoors is incredible. You've got mountains. Like we just sort of fell in love with Tennessee really Mm because it had a little bit of Kayla's home, a little Mm -hmm. bit of the mountains. Um, and then, a, and then a little bit of what I loved, and uh, yeah, so we this is kind of the home base now. And do I remember correctly? Brandon said somehow you are now kin. You're somehow family, right? Who yeah. did you marry? I married Brandon's cousin, Kayla. So yeah, was it just so, like we all going to get together in Idaho, and she was <laughs> interested in another fisherman, or what? What? what you know, what's the deal? <laughs> It happened through kind of Brandon, but, um, you know, back when Brandon was just starting to f- sort of support me a little bit and seeing that I was really trying, um, he... Uh, he supported he, you with a cousin. Like, yeah, hey. he, he supported me <laughs> way, and then I started seeing his cousin without him knowing. <laughs> I, had to, uh, I had to have that awkward conversation. You know your cousin, Kayla? Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that was... Uh, that's how we became, um, and then we, we, you know, we've been really good friends right through that, and sort of before um, we met Kayla, and it's just, 
Kayla's whole family lives up there, her mom and her dad, and Kayla grew up up there. And it's just been an unbelievable relationship because, like, coming from Australia, I've now got to elk hunt, I've got to hunt up in the mountains, I've got to spend that time with Brandon and other guys. And, uh, you know, I'm just, like, I just love that part of the country and I love that style of hunting. It's what I kind of did in Australia. Um, a little bit and um and so like yeah every year I'm like loving the season but like September's coming I'm like no matter what I've I'm go- we're going to Idaho so tell me a little bit about your hunting upbringing in Aussie obviously um is is you said Toowoomba right yeah yeah Toowoomba so is it anywhere near Chinchilla kind of and that's where I kind of grew up with my uncle he was at Meandara so Dolby and then further mm-hmm. west of Dolby um, is Meandara. And, um, and so he had an 8,000-acre property out there. Um, but I actually grew up a little bit of that sort of hunting, but um, really... Bow got, or rifle or both? Um, all rifle growing up. I, I had a bow pretty young, used to shoot it. And we, you know, I, I, hunt, I shot rabbits and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I got mm-hmm. like eight wasn't till later in life I really got into the bow hunting and I wanted to progress from like from experiencing the rifle hunting into the bow if that makes sense I liked um I wanted to see what everything was about with the rifle before I just jumped into that um even though as soon as I got into it I was like this is all I want to do um mm-hmm. but Sort of my mentor and the guy that got me into hunting, he was all about rifle hunting and just very making it quick and getting the animal rather than um, the whole everything, all the steps that come with bow hunting. Um, so he actually hunted red deer, and um, and that's and we had a lot of reds in Australia and not far. So I he um, was actually with my mum at the time for a while and and. Um, he sort of took me as a 10 year old, like, I want to go. And so he was like, oh, all right, you know, that sort of stuff. Like, I'll take him because my mum's like, hey, Carl mm-hmm. wants to hunt, take him. Exactly. Like, all right. And then I kept up with him, you know, in the up in those mountains and I was just keen. And so he took me then every year and sort of took me under his wing. And uh, we would go in the roar and, and just see the reds and I sort of grew up right through that. Um, and then we just had lots of pig hunting. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then lots of culling on my uncle's property of all the feral animals, all of that sort of stuff, trying to keep all of them under control. Um, and then, you know, I didn't get to do like a t- – like I just had those few – lot of goats, that, you know, and just – the thing with it was is like I didn't have a ton of guys – um that were right into it and it was always like a bit funny with you know the what how you could speak about it and so I I never really like pushed it hard it was always a little bit under the rug of what I how passionate Mm -hmm. I was about it um Mm -hmm. I did I got like my all my mates were right into um hunting pigs with dogs and it's totally different in the way they do it in Australia um it's 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 unbelievable. And I fell in love with that for a lot of years. I had a four wheeler. I had my two dogs and like chest plates, the track and collars. And like they, my, one of my best mates, he did it for a living where he would box the pigs and kangaroos and they would go, you know, that he, he made lots of money out of, out of uh, shooting pigs and kangaroos. And, um, he, his dogs and the way he did it, it was just phenomenal. But it's sort of, 
that side of things is looked down on from certain people. But yep. when you do it with yep. the right people, it's unbelievable, you know. And it's like anything. There's bad eggs um, in fishing. Absolutely. There's bad eggs in hunters. There's bad rifle hunters. There's bad bow hunters. And there's bad people that hunt with dogs. And there's phenomenal ones. And I, I was lucky, and I have been lucky in my life, that fishermen that i've run into and um hunters in every aspect have been almost like at the pinnacle of what they do like the real like proper way to do it and they don't they do it right and and that's how and so when i run into someone and i'm learning like you sort of figure out this guy does it like how i would do it and how i want to learn and so i got to do a lot of that um in australia um but it's just totally different there. It's just spoken about differently, more public land. And so it was a big eye-opener to come to the US and hunting <laughs> public, hunting uh, private land. Do you land think you, you're talking more freely about hunting here? Yeah, like I hunt, that's the biggest thing that I noticed, you know. Um, seen, I've seen a switch. I've seen it go back the other way. And then I've seen it coming back again now, which is good. Um, but that's what everyone talked about hunting and when you spoke about hunting here people were like more you felt open and then they were more uh likely to like have a, a, a positive response to it i found um here for my whole time here and i'm like wow this is this is unbelievable and and everyone kind of hunted and like bass pro shops with the mounts and things like even that was just kind of crazy to me i was like this is this is cool and um and so in between there i saw the switch where as social media started to make a rise mm-hmm. and become more mainstream more popular and then i saw what when the hunting post would get made how how big it was how, how like negative it was and some some people that did it was like just filled with negativity and these people would almost get crushed and it was like whoa and like i pulled way up on it like i got yeah, kind yeah, of like, yeah for sure in a way i'm like far out this is wild and so um and then you know it sucks because i wish i had been more of a leader but like i wasn't willing to go through like that storm because um already i didn't i don't like negative talk i didn't like i already got negativity on social media through anything when it was people would just say stuff and it was mm-hmm. I, I would respond to it or react to it so i didn't like it um and so going to that level i knew that's a like a big lot of weight to take on your shoulders of what you're going to get and so as um so many of these guys have done such a great job of like bringing it to mainstream and going through that storm and coming out the other side i've seen this huge switch and as i as they explained it so perfectly to a non-hunter and even for me like oh those are the points that you need to be hitting on certain things that just make perfect like logical sense once i got that around i started to say i'm not going to hide from who i am this is what i love to do i'm passionate about it and i i i know i'm i'm speaking from like a good place in my heart of where it's all coming from and since i did that i post about hunting now and i post about my elk that i just shot and i 
I shot an elk and I posted three in a row, there was not a single negative comment in my, there was, there was one on Facebook from a lady in Australia and she just didn't understand, you know, like from that, that side of things. And sometimes I just get it, but I, I definitely have seen a big switch where I'm like, well, this is pretty cool. You've seen the attitude starting to change. Dude, it's, uh, from someone who is fighting for hunting every single day and someone who I get absolutely pissed off when I know I have celebrities, I have influences in our corner yeah. and they won't say anything. And I've yeah. got these, I've got these huge, huge, huge celebrity accounts that are against hunting. And I'm like, where the hell are my celebrities? Like, where the hell are my influences, right? Yeah. So I, I'm, you don't know me from a bar of soap. I hope that we get to know each other a little bit more, just like Brandon and I are getting to know each other a little bit more. But I'm yeah. incredibly proud that you are willing to step up. And you do it, in, and you did it in such a respectful manner, right? Inherent yeah. to hunting is killing. Okay? Yeah. I know that. Everyone knows that. We don't yeah. have to be blatant about it, but you can be yeah. subtle about it. Like your picture, the elk is on your back. You're in this massive landscape. You swipe yeah. the very next picture of these beautiful elk tenderloins sitting yeah. on a cutting board, right? Then you swipe yeah. it again and it's in going in the vacuum, you know, packed little yeah. container because yeah. it's going into the food. It's going into the freezer to feed yeah. your family. That yeah. is your why, Carl. That is explaining to someone who has no idea about hunting, someone who yeah. thinks that hunters are all killers and that you guys are murderers and, well, you can't really murder an animal, yeah. but that's bygones, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. But you did it so well, my friend. And I can't, I couldn't, I didn't know you then, but I couldn't ask for something better from someone of your stature. You're going to grow in your stature and yeah. just being proud, being a hunter, man. Thank you. No, that it, it that means a lot. It's where I want to, um, you know. It's, I, and it's it's funny because I, I grew up. My dad was a vet, and I am more passionate. I'm an animal lover. Like I'm more of an animal lover. No one that really knew me would say you hunt because I love animals so much. Like I had big menagerie, like aviaries of every animal you can imagine. When animals would get hit, I would be looking after the joeys, you know, bringing an all these sorts of animals. And I had cows and calves and sh all this stuff growing up. I just, I have such respect. Anytime I see a bird, doesn't matter if I'm fishing, if they're wrapped in line, I'm going to help it. And, but, and then so to tell some, to go from that and then tell someone that I, hunt is such a it's such a crazy contrast that um but there's just those ways that we've seen how to um show that you know these are the reasons and this is why and this is why i think it's actually better um when my my mom and my sister picked me up from the airport in brisbane just on that drive home they said, "Oh, you, we saw you shot the elk and stuff." And um, they are my—they have the biggest hearts, you know. They just—I mean, both my mum and sister—they couldn't hurt a flea if they tried. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. But they're going to eat chicken burgers and McDonald's, and you know, love a good steak. And so that—that's where the explanation has to come in. Of like, okay, like 
they're, they're not telling me I can't hunt, but like my explanation across to them of why I did it and why I think it's actually better and what that animal um, did and then comparison to, you know, having the factory farming, the, the steak and all of these things that are coming through, by the, just a 30-minute conversation, they were just, they were like blown away with how I was explaining it and they'd never thought about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, even still now, even though the way I hear it and listen to it because I listen to so much there's so many people out there that haven't heard it so like it's still even my family and as much as I love hunting and much as I have done it it was only the other day that when I talked about it they were like far out that's actually awesome I was like you I can tell you how much I appreciate every bit of meat that came off that elk. Not a single bit is wasted. And I'm like, you know, when you bite a chicken burger and you're halfway through it and you're full and they, you just throw it in a bin, like any fish that I've, that I've killed and kept, that I've, rate, that I've harvested, animal-wise, deer, doesn't matter, I'm never doing that in a million years. That's not happening. Like you're going to eat every bit of that because you know what has gone into it. When, it. when that disconnect is there and you're able to just throw it in a bin, I'm like, which one is worse there? You've just got no value to that. That, that was an animal too and someone else had to do all the job for you right up to where you're eating it and you're full and you just throw it out. And I'm like, if you actually raised that chicken and then harvested it and plucked it and did all of those things to it down to that chicken burger, you wouldn't eat half of it and throw it away. But that's just what's happening all the time. And then they're generally the people that we're getting negative comments on. But um, I just think there's so many awesome ways to explain it of so many different um hunters that are coming up that get it and understand and know how to like articulate it best to people across that will resonate and hit them and be like far out maybe mm. actually i want to do that <laughs> or can i get some elk or can i get you know it have you given anybody on the bass tour because brandon told me a little story of the japanese guys and he was like cooking elk and they were like what are you cooking and he said oh i'm cooking elk and those boys couldn't eat it fast enough <laughs> yeah. Well, the more people are learning how good elk meat is for you and then how good it tastes. Like when I when I give it to someone to try, I go, this is why you see me walking through the mountains for weeks and days and trying to and all the heartaches and heartbreaks is because of this right here when you taste it and the way you feel after it. Um, all of those things, even just like not like Brandon was so awesome after I um, harvested my elk we went back to his house and we did we dressed the entire elk out at his house like every piece of meat our hands touched it went into the um, esky then into the freezer and we're pulling it out it's like didn't go to a post like we had our hands on it the right the way through and uh, never in my life I would have you know being on the Bassmaster dream a dream has been to open a freezer up of meat that I had like harvested off the mountain and I have that now and I can't wait to share up my family and a lot of Aussies are coming over for the Bassmaster Classic so I get to share some elk with them um, and I'll share it with you know whoever wants some because um you know, just that one that one animal is literally going to feed us all of – we just – every time we open the freezer up. All year, just, man. It's just all year. You just have the meat there. And, um, you know, Kayla and I are super um, diligent on what we eat and how we eat it and just the way that America is, is you have to be like that now because there's just so much garbage and all the stuff mm-hmm. that we eat mm-hmm. and drink that – 
getting that perfect piece of protein that you know has not been touched that's it, it makes your body feel 10 times better when you eat it are you saying that my mcdonald's big mac that i eat on the road when i go driving is not good for me yeah <laughs> very good <laughs> Shit, i love a big mac man i love a yeah. big mac on the road man Shit. Down, i can tell you we're heading straight to the burger place when i stopped <laughs> And we came down, we needed more ice, and it was like 30 minutes to the nearest town. We're like, we're getting the biggest burger and fries you've ever seen. <laughs> but you earned it. It's just not doing it every day. 1,000%, man. 1,000%. When is the Bass Master Classic next year? Um, it's at the end of March. So that's so it's almost the beginning of the season? Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, they, I forget exactly why they do that, but we actually have two Elite Series events and then the Classic. And then the season continues on for that. So you actually fish the classic from the fo- from the following year, from the year before. And where is that classic this year? It's in Knoxville, Tennessee, right here. Oh man, your backyard. Yep. 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 <laughs> Do you get to yeah. like you know the a- lake that it's happening on? Off limits. You're not allowed any information from any anyone. So it's all up to you. You can't get any. You, you're not allowed to fish it beforehand. You can up until the 1st of January. So I've been spending time there now. So I'll drive across or I'll camp there and I'll put, and I've already fished a tournament there and put quite a bit of time in. But um, right now with the water low, I'll go out there and spend days and days just searching, looking and putting sort of a bit of a plan together. Yeah, because the water, if the, what, will the water be up by the time you fish it? Yeah, it should be, yeah. And you get rains in March and stuff. So when the water's low, it's good to be like mark laydowns and rocks and, you know, just mm-hmm. underwater stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Putting in that, it's almost like, yeah, pre-season work for a, a hunt or something like that. You're like putting in that work and hopefully pays off when the time have you, comes. Um, have you turkey hunted yet? Yeah, I just shot my very first turkey this year. Um, do you know, you know Andy Morgan? Do you know Andy? Andy Morgan. Andy Morgan. He's a really he's a he fishes like the FLW tour. He's one of the best like okay. fishermen on that side and MLF. But his actual big passion is hunting. He's one of the best hunters like in Tennessee. Here he's, un- okay. he's unbelievable. He's out of Dayton. You would know him because he's shot like he's done a lot of video. Like he's done lots of films and okay. stuff as well. And he hunts with Levi Morgan a bunch. Okay, cool. So, um and he's sort of he he's not far from here so he's taken me hunting um quite a bit and uh what was funny is like he took me hunt turkey hunting two seasons in a row and he gets everyone a turkey he's a freak like he just gets them coming in and um and he got like we had lots of opportunities but he had a giant one come in 10 feet from me and I was laying down and I couldn't see it and I thought it was going to keep strutting and it just took off like right in front and uh and like I had all of these missed opportunities and then my wife Kayla on the last day last year she came out and she shot that one that I missed <laughs> and so I had a whole year of like Kayla shooting a big um turkey and like me have never shot one and then um, this year I went out and I think on our second day I shot a big, a pretty big uh, goblet, had double beard and everything. Nice. It was Isn't very Isn't it just a, it's like, they call it a disease, turkey hunting. I have, I'm afflicted with the disease and that it's, it's just um, yeah. something it's, um, else. It's, it's like elk hunting. That's how I, so, that's why I like it because we don't see well, it in Well, people say it's turkey, elk hunting, they say, uh, 
I haven't done like a true, true like bull elk in the rut hunt. Yeah. They say elk hunting is is turkey hunting on steroids. Yeah, yeah, that's how I would explain it. Like, and up in Tennessee here is like in the mountains. You're sort of like you're 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 up and down these pretty big ridges, and you're sneaking in on them. And you know we we had the best like hunt. We had these two out on this field, and Andy's like trying to get them in, and he's got me tucked in like this root clump of this big lay down tree and we're like all hunkered down i've got the shotgun like out and um and he's calling he's like man there's two and they're coming and we're watching them come across this field anyway he's andy's like they're gonna walk right in front of you so like just get ready so i'm like kneeled down andy's tucked in beside me we're like camoed up and i'm just dead still you know and you can't move and we look to our right and 10 feet from our right that the first one walks right through, but I'm face straight ahead. And Andy's like, don't move. And then so we're waiting there. Next minute, the big gobbler came through right behind him. And so we're sort of done. I'm like, there's no, nothing we can do. Like as soon as you move, they're gone. And Andy just slowly picks up the big tail fan, the feather, and he like picks it up and he like sort of hides me and they look at us and he's like, pull your gun out and bring it across. So I slowly slide it out and I put it through that tail fan and it just starts walking. Well, I end up getting twisted like all the way around like this as far as I can go and Andy's head's like next to my head and then he just like made a little puck and his head came up and I shot him and that, oh, was, man. that was my first turkey and like, yeah, I'm, uh, I actually want to get a full mount because Andy's just super cool and I just think they're such a, intriguing animal the way like every different feather goes and stuff so um that was a pretty special hunt for me and that just well you've got to figure out because obviously a lot of your tour is happening in the spring right and you're going to different places and obviously you don't have much time between fishing tournaments and whatnot but that's that's the battle with turkey hunting it's right in the middle of when we're sort of go time so you got to just jump on it when you can that's right that's right well Carl, my man you are uh you're an exceptional individual and I really appreciate you posting and talking and being comfortable to talk about hunting because we need more and more and more of you. And um, I appreciate Brandon yeah. putting us in contact and um, good luck, my man. I can't wait to um, Thank you. your backyard, raise the freaking trophy and then yeah. uh, first Aussie ever, huh? Yeah, that would be unreal. That'd be awesome. Well, I appreciate you guys too and keep doing what you're doing. We need we need you guys just as much as uh, everyone else, you know, supporting each other as a hunting community. Find it like-minded the way we like to hunt, the way we see it, and put it out there and get more involved and get more people understanding. I think, uh, you know, I've got a lot of people in front of me that have paved the way for allow me to even think about talking about hunting, especially online and social media. And it's like a big weight off my shoulders. I feel very uh, way comfortable about doing it and feel good about talking and why i'm doing it and the reasons and it's because a lot of people have sort of stuck their neck out in the first place and i've got to thank a lot of people for that well if you ever come across someone who gives you a comment asking you a question you're like "Mm, i don't know quite how to handle this or how to answer it reach out we'll be happy to give you some 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 advice and even we'll write it out for you and you can just copy and paste it yeah (laughs) all right boss man Good to talk to you. Cheers, mate. Yeah. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always.
leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Oh, that's awesome. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it, a life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6'8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.